Hi there, Coach Paula here. I know you're getting a lot from season one of Make Him Wonder, and I want you to get even more in season two. Go now to the 8020 Wonder Club and become a member. The 8020 Wonder Club is a membership club where you'll get all the new episodes of season two the moment they come out. Otherwise, you're going to miss out. That's the 8020wonder.club. Make this your year to be consistently mindful of what it takes for a relationship to go the distance. Go to the 8020wonder.club and I'll see you in the clubhouse. Sacrificing or settling in your romantic life? Welcome to Make Him Wonder with Coach Paula Grooms, where women struggling in real relationships ask the expert. Unscripted, unfiltered, understandable coaching conversations to help passionate women succeed in love. Hi there, and thanks for joining us today on the Make Him Wonder podcast. I'm your host, Coach Paula. I'm a dating and relationship coach, licensed social worker, and author of the book, Why Won't He Commit? How a Man Decides to Make You the One. Each episode, I talk with one real live woman with a real life relationship problem or concern in real time, meaning it's going on right now. And today's guest, I'm so happy to have her on, is a, a, a client of mine, uh, Katie. And Katie is um, in a relationship, actually married, um, and wants to know how she is able to spot a narcissist in the future because she has discovered that her um, her husband is not um, it's not going to work out, and this is um, a, a very um, almost difficult for me because I helped uh, Katie with the strategies that we work on in the program, my GPS program, to get a commitment. And we were so excited about this. And um, really, it fell apart in a short period of time, which can certainly happen with um, men who have traits of narcissism. And we're going to talk all about that today because I know it's a big issue for so many women because, you know, 4% of the population has um, perhaps the disorder, which is a something in and of itself because everyone and all men have a narcissism about them, and we all do, um, because it is functional in our world. And it's to the degree that it presents itself and to what extent it is tolerable for the person relating to the narcissist. So it's bandied about so much, this term narcissism, narcissism, especially today, um, because traits of arrogance and um, entitlement are easily and quickly mm, in the vernacular, kind of diagnosed, so to speak, armchair diagnosis as um, narcissism. Uh, 
and it's not the disorder. The disorder is a uh, a more rare and certainly malignant form of narcissism that is highly dysfunctional and uh, pretty much that anyone who has the disorder, so to speak, is not even able to be employed or is marginally employed or if employed is almost always um, in a very um, chaotic, uh, dramatic and or difficult um, dysfunctional kind of job situation and uh, fired a lot or let go a lot. So it's very difficult for someone with the actual disorder to remain employed. So it is the disorder itself is very rare and it has to fit a set of criteria that, that really must be diagnosed. Um, but we are walking around in our society where um, it it is in our society to a great extent. It's all on a scale of being um, not so much to a great extent and highly successful people tend to display high traits of narcissism. So unfortunately for Katie, um, and this is what we really want to get down to today, that there may have been some red flags that she's seeing in hindsight. And this is why Katie agreed to come on today because um, she feels that her story will be so profound, and it is, um, for women wanting to get commitment from men who treat them exceedingly well in the beginning of relationships because they want to uh, have the woman uh, fall for them and uh, commit to them and then the display of great control, anger, uh, lying comes out. So welcome, Katie. I'm so happy that you're here today and that you agreed to do this um, because I think it's going to help so many people. So welcome. Hi there. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes, it really is. So when we, you know, decided to do this, I was, um, or when I heard from you, um, after your uh, marriage and that things um, seemed so idyllic, um, I was shocked. And I want you to tell me about what, you know, what happened um, after your marriage because, and, and the hindsight you had about these problems and what your questions are for me around, um, you know, the narcissistic man. Sure. I, and I would like to say that, um, you know, using you as a coach and using the rules, I think helped in this situation because I think looking back, had I not had that boundary and those walls of protection, I probably would have gotten a lot more hurt because 
I did see some signs and I kept things, I think, a little more secretive because I was seeing some red flags or pink flags. Mm. And so I think I would have been more exposed and more hurt had I slept with him sooner or mm-hmm. had I told him more about my personal life, et cetera, you know. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it is, um, it's a profound difference of, um, you know, if Probably what I'm guessing is that before the rules and working with a coach and understanding what it takes really to get a man to the level of um, being interested in taking on the responsibility he sees commitment as being, that all of those things would have really uh, propelled you into the relationship to such a degree that now you would just be almost devastated, I would assume. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure I would have slept with him earlier. I would have spent more time with him than Mm -hmm. kind of the rules allowed. I would have posted him on my social media, which I didn't, you Mm -hmm. know, as per your advice. So I pretty Mm -hmm. much never did. Even after the marriage, I think I just posted one photo. In the Mm -hmm. meantime, he had been posting a lot. Mm-hmm. So it sort of protected me and kind of guarded my heart um, in, in that sense. So that worked out well. That's great um, because I know you are, you know, you're a mature woman. You're uh, 48 years old. You have child, children that are, um, I assume, um, high school or college age at least. Yep, yep. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he's a mature man in his um, late 50s. Uh, how did you meet um, we initially met on Tinder, and we went on five mm. dinner dates that were very rulesy, but I sensed something was off, and at the time, I just kept saying, I, can't, I don't know what it is, but I don't want to date him. So I told him I, there was no spark, and I blocked him. And about eight months went by, and I decided, hmm, I think I'll go on match. And I went on match, and there he was, and he said, oh, please reconsider. And Mm. I thought, all right. So I reconsidered, and we went on five more dinner dates, but I I just didn't feel right about it. So I told him, there's no spark. I'm sorry. And I blocked him again. And I Hmm. blocked him for about six months and then he contacted me through his friends phones and please reconsider I really like you and so I thought well I'll toss it out to my friends that are do the rules and see what they think and they said um I'll give them a chance there were the flags that you sense aren't really anti-rules you know it's not like you broke a rule and canceled dates on you or things like that so go ahead try give him another shot he seems so persistent He's chasing you so hard. That's kind of honorable. Not many men do that, you know. So I right. thought, okay. And so that's kind of when we started dating in the fall, the autumn of maybe, you know, eight months ago. Uh-huh. And, um, but you, it's interesting that, and this is what I, you know, anybody who knows me or, or worked with me, um, knows that I'm an 80-20 rules coach. That's what I call myself. Um, because um, I um, I take into account that life is lived in gray. And when we go too black and white, so to speak, meaning we do all or nothing, we can really hurt ourselves. And in hindsight, do you see that not adhering to those initial feelings of a no spark because what does that mean 
no spark means there's something you're not getting from him, right? Yeah. Something you're not connecting to in some way, shape, or form. There's, um, were you physically attracted? Was that, was that an issue as well? Yeah, I wasn't extremely attracted to him. He was a little shorter than me, so that kind mm-hmm. of, but, but then I kept looking at the positives, you know. Um, he ha- he is very alpha and has a high-paying job and has saved a lot of money over the years and didn't have children, didn't have family at all. So I thought mm. there's a lot of lack of baggage in that sense. And, of course, I have kids, and I'm getting older, and I thought I'd really just, kind of have to settle down. So I think all of his promises of financial freedom for me were, was very appealing and kind of outweighed the hair that stood up on the back of my neck. Ah, yes. Far, you know. And that's why I appreciate you doing this today because um, it, it really is listening to that inner voice that we can't allow the wanting to have a, a a man in our lives, a partner, whatever, to ever override those feelings, right? Those those senses, those six senses that women have to such a degree, and they're sub, they're protective. They're born in us so that we are protective of ourselves and and our children and what have you. And I'm hearing, you know, and it's interesting because I'm hearing them now, which when you came to me, I think you were a little bit on a on a cloud. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah I, and I, it was almost like I was success struck. You know, I was blinded yeah. by his success. <laughs> and it kind of, and then the games that they, the head games they play, kind of keep you mentally off balance, like, oh, I'm going to buy you a car, and I'm putting my airplane in your name, and I'm buying you a house. And so you start to get, <laughs> yeah, mm. like a cartoon, your eyes start to get all dizzy, and you're just success struck, I guess. Yeah, and, and so he was saying things like that? Yeah, and the funny thing is he was texting them, so I kind of have proof in that sense. But his actions did not match his words. But again, uh-huh. at the time, at the time, I couldn't say. You know, we were just dating. I couldn't say. Well, when's it going to be put in my name? I would of sound course. like just a gold digger. So right. I just kind of, oh, that's so nice. And I just fell for the lies and was so impressed. You know, and even my mom kept saying, "This sounds too good to be true." Uh huh. And you know what? Whenever that feeling is there, that too good to be true. It likely is, right? Yeah. Yep. And and also what we want to look at is when someone has, you, you stated it perfectly. You said his words don't coincide with his actions. Yeah. That is enormous. Whenever for anyone, man, woman, whatever, Here's here's the thing that we, we can we know about narcissism in general. It is a in some ways being a being developmentally arrested. And we look at a seven year old. A seven year old's actions belie their words, and vice versa. Right? 
they're yeah. finding out who they are and their personality is being formed and they test us right they test their parents boundaries all the time by saying one thing doing another possibly lying trying to get away with things um, sometimes um, trying to please the parents but actually doing it in a manipulative way these are normative actions of a seven-year-old yeah what happens is um, and it's my firm belief that um, that narcissists get arrested at that time something happens and while they grow and get older and intellectually develop and develop in all other ways that emotional level stays the same and what happens is becomes very dangerous as an adult yeah so when you hear now yourself saying back he didn't have any family he didn't have any um, you put it other baggage in that way like no children had he married before Yep, he had been married, and um, they never had kids, he said. He, they just didn't want any. And he said he never had any siblings. And I said to him, oh, my gosh, why didn't your parents have more than one child? That's just kind of rare back in that day, you know. Uh-huh, right. And he, and he would always smile and say, I don't know, I don't know. And I told the girls that are the rules friends, and they said, that's strange. Google him and see. And so we pulled up a brother, <laughs> and I thought, what? you know, you can, you know, how you can find obituaries on Google, and him uh -huh. and his wife will pop up. Well, a brother pops up, and I kept thinking that's so strange. It looks like he does have a brother, and I would say to him, really, no, so they never had any more kids, because I thought if I say, do you have a brother, he might say no, and if I confronted him, he might say I disowned him, we didn't get along, or whatever. So I said they really never had another child. No, never. But so when did you find out that lie? That lie was during the courtship, but when I brought it up to my friends, they said, well, it could be, he could be, you know, estranged from the brother. Maybe the brother died. Uh, we all justified it thinking, eh, it must be nothing. But then down the road after I got married, I found out he did have a brother. I never right. him out. But, but do you see how important now that anything like that that is a huge lie. Yeah, yeah. And it's oh. and it it's it's a it's a lie that doesn't any lie like that that is protecting the person. And that meaning for whatever reason he had for lying to you, it did not in any way benefit you. It only yeah. protected him because there are um and and we all uh, do what's called white lying and we normally do it when we're not disordered in any way we do it usually for the protection of the other person meaning I'm not going to tell my friend I just don't want to go meet her for dinner mm -hmm. I'm going to say you know um, I'm sorry but that night I just can't I have a uh, commitment with work or whatever that's a white lie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing that so I do not damage the relationship or hurt her feelings, right? 
Exactly, yeah. That's not, and it's not of any import. It doesn't, but that lie to you was only for his sake. And it is, it's a hiding that is so huge that when, and your, your, your friends justified that. I find that really, um, really odd. Well, and I think even I did. We were all kind of like, yeah, I'm sure there, there was reasons they, maybe they fell apart or maybe he died. And we just kind of thought, eh, we, we really didn't think it was a big deal. And we thought, well, surely he's not lying about that. And the other thing that was weird during the courtship was he had said he was divorced because the wife cheated on him. So, of course, I went on, looked on her public Facebook page and was just looking through her public posts. And about the time of their divorce, she kept posting things like, you can never trust a cheater. If they, somebody cheats on you, have nothing to do with them again and stuff like that, like as if he had cheated on her. So I talked with my friends about that. What do you think? And they said, you know what? Maybe she did cheat on him, and now she's posting all that stuff about the guy she cheated on him with, like the new boyfriend. Maybe he cheated on her. I mean, we, we, we just wanted it to work so bad. You, you want it, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and you see, for, for anyone listening, that any justification, um, it's just not it, – it's just never – things are never going to be different um, for, for you. The I guess the question I would have is that um, what kept you from you know really kind of taking more time and uh, along the way kind of discovering more before you went ahead and married. Well, I think a few things in my mind. I was thinking, you know, I have a high tolerance. I can handle this. You know, whatever. Mm. I, I'm very empathetic, so I was like, oh, whatever hurt him from his brother, when it finally comes out, I'll handle it and deal uh-huh. with it. Not a big deal. And I was like, I, I'll understand him. Of course, I love him. And I get a lot out of the good of the relationship. So I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater is what Got I was it. thinking. And then there was a time I called you kind of uh, after we had decided to become exclusive. And I said, ah, Okay, we became exclusive and we had sex, and now I feel like I'm bonding. But normally, I'm not an easy bonder. Uh huh. So I was like, oh no, I think I'm bonding. And I guess as reading reading up on that type of stuff, it does say like your your body releases the bonding hormone, the absolutely, oxytocin and the dopamine and the epinephrine. So now I'm like physiologically attached. I'm like almost like sure. a drug addict. Now I'm attached to him. And, mm-hmm. and sort of dependent upon him. And then I'm, I'm envisioning my future and kind of pushing him out of the way, thinking, ah, him and his problems, that's a side note. I'm going to live in this house, and I'm going to quit my job. And I'm thinking of all these wonderful things that I are going to come of the marriage, you know. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was blinded. Even if you tried to talk me out of it, there's no way anybody could. Ah, okay, got it. I was like a drug addict at that point, you know, bonded mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. And so but looking back, there were a lot of little signs, you know, that I saw. Yeah. What other things, um, you know, that the big lie about the brother, that's that's pretty huge. Um, what other I think 
I recall, because I, I think it's a really valid one, that he did not ask you when you were going through a job change or you got a great promotion or something happened like that, he didn't yeah. address it at all. Yeah, that was kind of weird. He Well, the main thing, I think the reason the first two times I told him no spark was because he really did not shut up about himself. Mm-hmm. And I, I called one coach before you and said, what in the world? And she said, well, it's peacocking and they're trying to impress you. And so I tossed it off as that. Uh. But it, after months, I thought, when will this guy shut up? It's just on and on bragging and like name dropping and it was just getting annoying. And my mom kept saying, does he ever ask any questions about you? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, he doesn't, never, ever. And I'll, but I'll talk, so I'll say, oh, this is what I do for work. And he, he won't ask questions, so I may say some more about it. And we had this issue this week. And so I, like, kind of ask my own questions and answer them in front of him just to be socially cool. But mm-hmm. that was a huge flag that he really had no curiosity about me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yes, yes. And a man yeah. who is not struggling with some kind of, um, you know, issue as big as that will ask questions about you. He'll want to achieve you and get to know you. Um, first, the first few dates, especially the first date, real date, yes, a man will do the peacocking like that because he want, he believes that impressing you is the way to go to get you interested. So we kind of have to overlook the first, you know, couple of dates. But beyond okay. that, if he is not really trying to connect with you about you, about what makes you tick, about your life, um, and share. It's With men, it's more sharing than directly asking you questions. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Thank you for listening to Make Him Wonder. Where are you with things and what's going to happen? Well, um, so so he pushed for marriage really quick and everybody kind of justified everything. My mom said, don't worry about him not interested in you. Be thankful he doesn't want to know the dirt in your life. Be thankful he's not disqualifying you. (laughs) And so everybody kind of, we just justified everything. And did this like high wire act. Yes. And then he pushed, let's just go get married today, you know? And I thought, really? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. We won't tell anyone. We'll just tell them we're engaged. So we did that. So it was all just a whirlwind, kind of in shock. And mm-hmm. um, then after that, I started to notice things going downhill really fast. So then I started to, and we never, I never moved in with him because I have a place until May. So I just couldn't. And wow, thank the Lord, right? I know. That was a blessing. And so I would see him once a week. And the one time a week was a big deal. You know, I'd go there for one night and come back the next day. And um, I started to see things on that one date that were pretty shocking, like him being angry, screaming, throwing his hands in the air. And I I wouldn't even say anything. I, it was just over silly, insignificant things like a nightlight or just silly things. And I would say so this him, started happening the moment you tied the knot. 
Yeah, it started to progress. So, like, right after I, we tied the knot, for the next week or two, he would still bring me flowers and gifts. But then that all ended really quick. It ended completely, and then his anger came out. And I would say to him, you need to learn to communicate. You don't need to yell. You don't. And it was almost just shocking. He would be in this – it was like the brain was – the blood was cut off from his brain. You, he couldn't mm-hmm. even hear you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just kind of ignored it and kept saying, well, now I'm married. Nobody knows, but I'm married, and I'm stuck in this. So I'm just going to have to tolerate it. So I did. And the date started, he started canceling dates and stating, I'm going to go do things with my friends this week, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. And Ooh. weird things like that. And, um, and then, of course, yeah, still no interest in me. And I kind of felt like if my car broke down or something happened, I don't think he would even pick me up if I called him. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I started to feel really unloved. And mm-hmm. I think, I guess, looking back, I think I really was never loved. But I was kind of a source of supply for him because I knew I was submissive and I was always encouraging him and complimenting him. Mm -hmm. And the kids, of course, were too, so he loved that. Mm -hmm. And um, so then after these anger outbursts, I started to become um, more secretive about my own life. So I started to not tell him much Mm -hmm. because I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, God, everything he tells me about ex-girlfriends is in the negative. And I know if I show him any side of me that's negative at all, he's going to use it against me. So I just started to feel uneasy and worried. And as he became more arrogant and haughty, and I said to him, um, I was kind of testing him one day. I said, you know, you had promised you would buy me a car when we got married because I don't have a car. I'm using an ex-boyfriend's car. And I said, I really need to give this back. And he said, I changed my mind. I'm not getting you a car. You're going to have to get your own. And good luck with that because you're not going to get a loan. So, and wow. I'm shocked that he said that. And then he said, and I, your name's not getting put on anything. Remember how he had said, oh, I'll put your name on the bank account. So he said, all you're going to get is free rent. <laughs> and I, and you and I wow. know what a woman contributes to a marriage is a lot. We're a mm-hmm. maid. We're a sex slave. We're the social <laughs> organizer. We put, I just, it's a full-time job. So I thought for free rent, I have, I can pay my rent. I'd right. rather have peace and live alone than that's, have to live that's with That's a huge statement. And that is yeah. so important for any woman is that it's so much, life is so much better alone unless you're with someone really good to you. Good meaning caring, empathetic, mm-hmm. um, understanding, uh, caretaking of you in the way a man is, which is providing for things. That's what they like to do for women they love. So that was a huge... um, Now, in retrospect, in hindsight, do you think that if you had uh, kept going rather than marry um, and had a... Because he presented you with the engagement ring, and I remember we were very happy for you... um, do you think if you had had a longer engagement and pushed for a real marriage, you would have found these things out? Well, I was listening to Dr. Pat Allen, and she said narcissists or people that are this self-centered, they usually cannot keep their mask on for longer than nine months in a dating relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have just been more wasted time had I just continued dating, because he did say before I started using you, he was saying, 
I could date you for 10 years and then get married after 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, gosh, I don't want that. And then I hired you, and we kind of progressed him from 10 years to two months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which happens, right? And whether, you know, whether a man is narcissistic or not, which I did not get that sense, but I was not hearing these um, types of things. Um, when when we do, right, we want to make sure that – but, again, it, it is that I understand completely now, and I'm so glad we talked about this, that – I understand that you were really in the throes of all that he was doing that a man who is in love will do. And so what I'm saying is that it's not that he didn't love you. He loved you to the degree that he can. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. There's no question because he would have not done these things had he not. In other words, you know, uh, he is – a man who's going to be completely self-serving in every way and meaning that he would not have um, done the flowers, the this, the that. It's, mm-hmm. it's a shallow love. Mm-hmm. It's a shallow self-serving love yeah. because it is at a developmental level that's very low. It cannot be a complex and deep love. Mm. And that love cannot include what is good for you. Yeah. When we truly love people, we want life to be good for them. Yeah. Right? And it cannot include that. So there is no doubt, and it was kind of a rhetorical question, that you would have found out these things along the way. Sure. Yeah. Um, But I would have probably have moved in at that point had we been engaged with the date. And, oh, it would have been a nightmare because I have a whole house, like a 3,000-square-foot house. So can you imagine if I moved the kids from a different school district? I'm just glad I kind of found out when I did, you know. Yes, I am so glad for you because um, can you get this annulled? Well, so, yes, so the final blow-up, he finally – threw a hissy fit over a nightlight. I asked if I could put a nightlight in the room and he started screaming and throwing things and wow. I, I was really scared. And he kept saying, you don't need a nightlight. You can reach over for the lamp. But I have glasses of water and I don't want to grab a hot light bulb, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where the lamp is. It's pitch black. And I said, I didn't say anything. You know, the rules really trained me well to kind of be classy Mm-hmm. And maintain my composure yes. compared to him because he right. wanted me to get all riled up like of most course. women probably would have. Mm-hmm. So I just quietly sat there. And then he, he knows I have really bad um, asthma and I'm allergic to dogs. So he said, I'm putting the dogs in my bed tonight. <laughs> I had just wow. come into bed with my little negligee on. I was all excited because it was our one night date of the week. Mm-hmm. And he said, get out of the bed. The dogs are taking your place. So wow. I quietly stepped out of the bed and just walked upstairs. The kids were sleeping and I just went to bed with my two little daughters. And he never came up, never came up and said, come on down. So in the morning, I um, just quietly walked out and we left. And we didn't hear from him for three days. And, um, and then he, he called and said, do you want to have this thing annulled? And I just um, responded back, yes. And that was it. And he said, fine. Wow. And then 
I know. It was shocking. I was kind of following his lead. Had he said, I need help, or I'm really sorry, or let's get counseling, I probably would have kept working on it because I just tend to be that type. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I said, yes. So he said, I'll be over tomorrow with the papers. You can sign them, and we're done. And so he came over with the papers, and I was still kind of in shock. I mean, I wasn't really hurt or sad. I was glad that I was relieved in a sense. Yes. And so he came kind of looking like like he had seen a ghost. You know, he looked like somebody you would see whose dog just died. Mm-hmm. And he sat down, and um, I kind of gave him a hug and said, well, thanks for coming. And he just stood there, didn't hug back, and ignored me and threw the papers at me. Mm-hmm. So I signed them, and um, he said, well, kiddo, I gave this my best shot, and he walked away. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And then I remembered your words. So at that moment, I knew he was done. But I remembered you telling me one time, you know what, if there's something on your chest you have to get off and it's completely done, then get it off your chest. <laughs> right, because that was your shot. <laughs> yeah, this was my last shot. Oh, and I forgot to tell you. So after the little tiff, after um, he kicked me out of bed, the next day I look on his Facebook and he deletes all my photos and puts, I'm single again. He puts it we're still we're still married so all these women start commenting oh you poor thing what happened do you want to get together and talk and like 60 of them Mm. because he has money you know so I was shocked he was so done but I guess that's the devalue and discard you know it's the devalue and discard and it's also the um uh the hair trigger um anything you know the not having any filter in any way to um, delay the gratification and to punish punishing with narcissism with narcissists is huge immediately they want to punish so when you're feeling um, and, and that's you know emotionally connecting to the feelings when you're with someone and probably all the way along you um, you you can look back and know that your feelings just weren't in alignment yeah and I and I remember Pat Allen also saying if if a man is sort of narcissistic he is going to want to be cherished and respected whereas normally women want to be loved and cherished men want to be respected she said he's going to demand both so after, oh yeah, so I, oh I yeah. Said, when he got up to leave, I said, "No, no, no, sit back down." I said, "Now I'm going to tell you a piece of my mind, you know." Oh, and I just uh-huh. essentially said, um, "I said I want you to hear my side." And so I explained. I said it was, you know, very hurtful. I came to your house. I drove 90 miles with my kids. I'm in my negligee. Our one date of the week, and you kick me out of bed. How mm-hmm. dare you do that? And he said, you could have turned on the light yourself, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I'm a guest in your house. You, you could sleep through a nuclear bomb. You lived in Afghanistan for years. You could sleep through, you know how guys are. I could turn the TV on and you'd still hear him snoring away. Mm-hmm. You could sleep through anything, never mind a nightlight. And I said, but you see that there's went. any everything with a narcissist will be shallow. So, for example, you know, and, and many women say to me, you know, well, my guy hasn't, you know, he never he doesn't bring me flowers or whatever. I said, you know, really, is that what you're going to use as a a barometer of his love for you? You know, that anybody can pick up flowers. 
Yeah. It's really what did he ever, you know, did he ever really help you with something? Like you said, you knew that if your car was stuck on the side of the road, he wouldn't be there for you. Yeah. That's but he, but he took the day off from work to bring the annulment papers. Exactly. You know? Yes. Right. <laughs> Self-serving. Because all the other women were, you know, giving him supply. Let's meet up. Let's talk. You poor thing. So right. I just kind of gave him, told him my side and said, shame on you. How dare you act like that? And he just sat there and looked straight ahead. Mm-hmm. And I said, and then you had to post your dirty laundry on Facebook for attention and to act like the victim. Mm-hmm. You want to pretend like you're the Pope. And, of course, I'm like Cruella DeVille or someone. Mm-hmm. And he just sat there pouting, looking out in the distance, like as if he didn't hear me. And at least mm-hmm. I just got to get it off my chest. And that was it. And then he walked away and I have never heard from him since. <laughs> and it sounds like you're doing really well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very, I feel like a backpack of worry and anxiety and stress. Because then when I saw that side, I thought, oh, my God, the rest of my life I'm stuck mm-hmm. with this shallow, angry man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you could have summed it up. That, that is a narcissist in two words. Oh. Shallow and angry. Shallow oh. and angry. You know, that, yes, yes. And, and, you know, now you will, having had that experience, um, I had that experience in my life in a number of ways because I often talk about narcissism being on a scale. And I was actually married to a man, and I will say, bless his heart, he's narcissistic. Now, he is, is a great narcissist. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that he is all the, the good traits of narcissists, charming, um, but he also is a good person. Mm-hmm. He likes to be charmed because he likes to be liked, and he needs to be liked. And he's in show business. Go figure, right? Of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And, yeah. um, but what was interesting is when I was with him, and he was one of the um, again, because everyone's on the scale, he's not at all a malignant narcissist. He's not at all, uh, he does not have the disorder. But he's high on the scale of narcissism. And it can be very useful to people. In other words, his charm and his degree of narcissism renders him very successful. Yeah. Right? Because he's he's really liked in a think and this is nothing I wouldn't say to him um, because we're friendly we're good friends now in terms of that now good friends I say is that would I be calling him to talk about my problems or you know no right no um we don't I always say to to everybody you know when you're with a man you're his best friend when you're partnered Mm -hmm. with a man you're his best friend but he's not yours yeah Regardless, you know, he's your partner. You have a best friend, and that's a woman, because relating woman to woman, that's what you need as a best friend. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You need that three C's of a woman, a connector, uh, a caretaker, right, and a cooperator. Yeah. Three C's of men, they're all about challenge, um, uh, competition, and conquering. 
Yeah, exactly. Right? But the the point is is that we've all had, and then I had a more malignant narcissist in my life for many years who I tried with, you know, you you did it, you can give yourself a pat on the back. You did not try to fix him. You did not try to change him. You saw what it was, and when you saw what it was, you said, uh-uh. Yeah. You have to give yourself a lot of credit for that. Because no matter whether it's eight years or eight months, it's really um, it's really painful. Mm. And what happened with your guy? Oh, um, I I tried twice in my life in that relationship because I loved him, you know, deeply. Um, and he was very, you know, hey, I'm a social worker. I deal with damaged souls quite a bit, right? And he was a damaged soul. This was not my husband. Um, And absolutely gorgeous. That's another thing. You know, it's funny how sometimes narcissists come in the package that that kind of shouts narcissism. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Um, And I I felt in my youth uh, that I could, that it was somehow if I could get to the core I could help this I didn't even recognize at the time the narcissism and I fell deeply in love but the second time around I got it and what happened with it's in what I recommend and what most people recommend when you're dealing with a really high on the scale um, malignant narcissist and anyone who has the disorder the real disorder is that you know you have to get that person out of your life if you can in any way shape or form and hey hey everyone listening I'm in New York can you hear I'm in New York gee <laughs> the sirens going off nonstop um, yeah so hopefully you don't but I'm hearing it and thinking oh my gosh um, so hopefully whoever is uh, being picked up by um, all those um, uh, ambulances will be fine so th- the point is is that I had to completely extricate him from my life mm-hmm. because here's the thing that we know about any relationship is that any relationship between two people can only exist at the level of the person with the lowest capability. Oh, interesting. Right. Because if you're trying to, you can, in other words, you cannot pull someone up to your degree of relationship ability. You will have to be down at their level. And so what happens is that if you continue to be down at their level while you're trying to bring them up, they'll continue with the relationship, always. You think, how could they want it? This is so dysfunctional. How can they not see how dysfunctional this is and want to make it better? No, they don't see. That is their level of ability, that dysfunction. And so they will stay there and just find someone else who is is uh, willing or at their level. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you really, um, you were able to, I think, you know, 
for whatever, uh, you know, you must have done good somewhere in your life, somewhere along the way, because you were saved. Somebody yeah, upstairs was taking care of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and um, the other, a couple other little things that people may want to watch out for is after when I went, when he kicked me out of bed and I just quietly went upstairs, he said to me um, that third day later, you know, why didn't you come down and, and come apologize to me or come mm-hmm. come chase me, come chase mm-hmm. me? And that's when the light bulb went off in my head. Oh, my God, that's what Dr. Pat said. They want us to pursue them. I said, mm-hmm. you're the one that offended me. But they right. still want us to take the blame for everything and everything. chase them. Everything, yeah. And, you know, I um, another thing is the uh, social media that was a big red flag, too. He was constantly posting selfies of just himself. Now, like mm-hmm. you and I may change our profile photo or something like that. Mm-hmm. But con- every day he would put a post him. Just me. Uh, uh-huh, <laughs> At yeah. age 58, I just wanted to say nobody cared. Nobody wants to see you every day, a different <laughs> photo. But we thought that was kind of weird. Or he would post prom photos. Now, it's different if somebody tags you in, like, in an old high school prom photo. But right. a prom photo is just you, you in the photo uh, <laughs> from, like, yes. 40 years ago. We all, yes. I, mean, I think that's another red flag is watching someone's social media, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad that you did not join in that. And I don't recommend that no matter um, you're dating. Until you are married or engaged to someone, um, you don't want to be posting your relationship stuff because that does nothing for um, the man in the because yeah. until as you know um, until he's decided that you are the one and you never really know that until he's made a um, an absolute uh, profession of that to the world right not just to you yeah but to the world vis-a-vis an engagement you don't know so it's really very important not to be posting yourself and aren't you glad now that you did not yes right? uh, and i had asked you at the time um what about him posting doesn't that signify that he's this was before engagement that he's pretty much set on me and you said, not really. Men can delete it just as quick as they put it up. And that's right? so funny because women are so the opposite. We make such a big deal about what we post. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, you know, where do you go from here? So I guess the, uh, the I called an attorney and she did say, yeah, if, you know, if you've only been married so many weeks, you, the judge will annul it and it's called an invalidity of of the marriage so they essentially rip everything up as if it never happened it's for the court it's not like a catholic annulment it's a court okay. thing where they just dissolve it and call it invalid it never existed oh, and then that's, that's great. pretty much it <laughs> so then it I won't just, even appear that you married for a second time nope nope she said no wow that's i'm so happy for you in that way yeah, I'm kind of glad it all happened really early before I moved in and got too committed. But the weird thing, I guess, uh, that you'll know more about is how can these men not really have bonded? I mean, looking back, let's say he sat down with a psychiatrist and they said, you know, you're really high on the covert narcissism scale. You, mm-hmm. it, it seems to indicate they don't really bond like we do. Like maybe they attach to us, but they don't bond. Is that true? Absolutely true. Oh, that's so weird. You know, the bonding is in a very different way. And fortunately for you, 
um, it didn't take the form of such control that he's going to stalk you or that he's going to um, do anything overtly um, uh, controlling or abusive uh, because that can occur. But yeah, no, I don't think he will. Mm-hmm. But the bonding is not um, the same. It, it, it again, it can be more shallow. Be not the bonding that you and I are talking about when we talk about bonding. Adult, um, deep love and affection and caring for someone that um, and taking them on as a res- for men, taking them on as a responsibility that they see commitment as being. Um, it's not that. It's a more shallow um, bonding to um, like a seven-year-old to a parent. It's not that they don't love the parent. They do. But it's what is the parent doing for them? Oh, I see. Right? Yep. Yep. So So in your book where you say, you know, this is what it takes for a man to commit – Essentially, these men go through the steps, maybe because they socially know what's accepted, but yes. yet they never really commit like a normal man would. Or would a normal man that's not narcissistic do this and just walk out of this without saying, let's talk about it, let's get help, let's whatever? No, he would not. He would not. Interesting. No, it's, it's that, see, what you're doing is that when when I'm talking about men in, in my book and what I do with women who, you know, in, in working with women about men and in all manner of my work, it's men who are not disordered. If you, and, and he now I'm hearing has a great deal of, you know, he's extremely high on the scale. Yeah, And yeah. so to try and have, remember, you can only function at the level of the lowest functioning person emotionally. So he's not going, while he may do some steps, you know, he wanted to get you for whatever reason. And because here's the thing, the rules like you did, it makes any man want to achieve you to such a degree that they will go through, you know, hoops and jump hurdles yep. to do that. And he did. Yeah. But yeah. that and they have a selfish motive too, probably. Well it is it is born in them to do the achievement. And that's why the rules work the way they work. Yeah. And but but again then it's up to us to take it a step further. Is this person because while I'm about um women, you know, getting the commitments they desire and deserve. And I'm also about men being married because men do best in marriage. There is no, they statistically, they do better um, medically, um, emotionally, in all ways. Men benefit from marriage and they become the best men they can be in marriage, right? Sure. However, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we, we have to vet them once we, you know, start with the rules and have their interest. Um, we have to vet them to see, are we really interested in them? Do we like sure. them? Are they men of character? Are they good men? Are they disordered? Because when they are, nothing, nothing will, except an act of God, will change that. Ugh. When 
any personality disorder and and you know they're kind of all together it's it's um i remember and this is an interesting um i remember talking to my best friend when i was um in the throes of just being so heartbroken about uh, the one guy who I was with that I loved deeply from the time I was, you know, very young 20s. And I wanted it so much to work. And my heart was breaking for him because I was now, the second time around, after my marriage, was seeing him again and realizing, oh, my God, you know, this is. It was so profoundly sad to me that I knew because with personality disorders they do not change and there is no medication you can give and I remember saying to my best friend I said if only if only he were seriously depressed or bipolar or even schizophrenic because you can give medication that will change someone and help them to such a degree that they can relate at a level where you are and want to but with a personality disorder that never happens oh it's and and that's hyperbole never i know that but it's and that's why the prevailing wisdom if you are involved in other words if you have someone in your life who has a personality disorder that um and again that's a diagnosable personality disorder um that you actually try and extricate yourself from that if you cannot live with the symptoms because they're not going to change oh yes in other words i can give you medication if you have a personality disorder i can give you medication only for the concurrent depression and anxiety that comes from having the interpersonal difficulties that result from the personality disorder but it's not going to do anything to change the personality disorder i can't give you medication to change your personality yeah and so that's what's so sad about it because especially the narcissists and um, many of the other personality disorders they will not seek help no No. there's one that does nothing but seek help um, but all the rest they're not about for the most part seeking any kind of help because they're okay it's that everyone else (laughs) (laughs) needs to do what they want all right right so you kind of escaped this in a way that I don't think given the trajectory of it it could have really turned out any better yeah when I saw a lot of these signs I I was thinking oh no you know I don't want to fail again this is so embarrassing and so I thought I'll just make it work you know and Mm -hmm. I started and I could sense what his problem was I kept saying you know you're throwing little temper tantrums like throwing your arms or throwing your things in the house this is so Mm -hmm. silly so I started googling that and a guy popped up by the name of I don't know if you've heard of Sam Backman he's I guess a kind of a registered genius who speaks about narcissists he's some Mm -hmm. psychologist so he I started listening to his videos and he kept saying yeah you cannot change them and you have to get out Mm 
You and have I said, to get Come out. On, it can't be that bad, you know? know. And then um, he, this guy said a lot of times what starts the narcissism in these little kids is the parents either abused them, neglected them, or put them on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And he said, think about that. When you're being abused as a little two-year-old, your parent, in your mind, you're hearing your parents say, I want you dead. I want you dead. It's traumatizing, you know. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you're objectifying them. I want you dead, and I want you to come back alive in a version that I can accept, a good boy, a, a boy who obeys the principle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see, Or when you put him on the pedestal, I, I want you to be this image of this God that I can re- live my life through vicariously. So you have to be this God for me, and I'll encourage mm-hmm. it so I look good. And so he said, I guess what he does is he says there's, there's no help for these people, but he says he has some training where he's put like 45 through it, and it's helped them, but they've all become suicidal. He recreates the trauma and kind of like re pretends he's their mother and re-abuses them or something and says, I want you to oh, get them all worked up. Oh, wow. I know, yeah, awful. yeah. Yeah, that's but right. But he says that beyond that, there's really nothing. And so you feel so bad. You, you think of them as a little kid being abused. And even he, my husband, was abused by his mother mm-hmm. physically. And so you can just imagine, oh, my God, you just want to hug him and go, you poor thing, I want to help you through this. But they don't see it. They just keep attacking you. Right, right. And there's really, there is nothing that can be done, unfortunately, and that's what is so sad and why I remember being in that place of sadness, I mean, deep sadness, because I knew nothing would ever change it. And certainly now it's, you know, like, I don't know, 15, 17, almost 20 years later, and nothing. I know about him through someone else. Oh, nothing has changed. It's only nothing. gotten much, much worse. Oh, interesting. interesting. You would think they would say, this isn't working for me. What do I need no, to do? Not no, at all. They think it's you. They become your tormentor. They just keep tormenting you. It makes well, no because sense. again, would we be able to go to a seven-year-old and expect insight Oh, that's true. No, no, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. They'll be, you know, uh, 90 years old and it will be the same. Oh, that's so true. Because if you didn't get a chance to develop in a way that is normative, you cannot. And it's arrested development. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing really. And so it why the prevailing wisdom and why all the experts say if you are romantically involved that means you can get out i mean if it's your son your daughter your mother your fa- you know it's different yeah. right but sure. uh, but yes when you're romantically involved the only thing you can do is save yourself and yeah. so you did yeah. that and so give yourself you know a great deal of credit for that it's a it's a fantastic lesson and yeah. now you know going forward you will get to see the signs right and all those red flags that um you you, you know you didn't heed necessarily you'll be heeding next time yeah exactly it makes us a little more sensitive more aware and don't, and i read somewhere they were saying that like one in 25 people may have some type of character disorder that's not necessarily registered but do you think it's that prevalent 
in today's day and age. Absolutely. Yes, oh, I think gosh. that. And that's sociopathology. Um, there's a great book. I think it's called The Sociopath Next Door. It's a tiny, it's a small book. It's a really fast read. It is fascinating. It is by a, I believe, a psychologist or psychiatrist, I'm not sure, who was doing um, her research work when she was in grad school, I believe, um, or maybe medical school, I'm not sure, on sociopathology. And it was believed previously that one in every 100 people are what we know as sociopathic. Um, that means they have basically the underlying, they have no conscience. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now it is really more, they believe the statistic is much more one in 25. And that is why we see so much going on in our society that is cruel, that is unfeeling, that lacks empathy, that is um, self-serving. Because imagine for a moment if you had no conscience, meaning you don't feel any guilt about anything at all. Imagine what you could allow yourself to do. Mm, right? You're right. And, it and is, they're good at it. Oh, yes. They, believe they, because they sort of believe their lies. Because I'm sure people are thinking, how could you two dummies be so naive? But when you're in the midst of it, they're really good at what they do. They are, yes. Yes. And that is, yes, we don't want to blame the victim right? If you've been a victim of this kind of thing, and and I've done it myself, and I was with another, you know, and here I am, and I tell people, you know, hopefully this is helpful to you. You know, I was in social work. I was, I was reading about something during the day, and then coming home at night to something that was totally, you know, textbook. Wow. Wow. And did not recognize because I being a the, the, the female that I am I wanted to connect to him and fix it yeah right yeah and that's where you know we we really must um, you know for ourselves because it doesn't you can't help anyway and that's the sadness that comes into it is that if you could, and he were to have met, like you said, if he had come to you and said, you know, broke down and said, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, I, I need some kind of help. Yeah. You would have been right there with him. Okay, let's try this. Let's give it a college try. Yeah, right? exactly. Yep. Um, it, because in, in this case, he did not, while it was totally abusive, he did not hit you. He did not, you know, do anything that was... Um, in, in that way, dangerous, right? So you Correct. would have given him the chance to to get the help and see what could evolve. But sure. because there is no insight for anyone with these disorders, none. There's no insight. You can't expect a seven-year-old to have insight. Yep, exactly. Um, that it will ne- that will not never happen. And that's why all the experts say, just get out. So I'm yeah. so happy that you did this today. I'm so happy that you are free of this and can move forward. And I'm only excited for you of the possibilities ahead. You know, take time to heal. Sure. You know, take 
take that time to heal, take that time to process, and you'll be back in the game shortly, and, and I have no doubt, uh, because you, you really have your head in the right space about all of this. And thank you for being on today. Oh, thank you, Paula. It was great talking to you. Great. Thank wow. you. So if you've benefited from today's conversation, please subscribe and share. And I hope you will because um, these conversations are so important for all of us women to share. And again, if you are in a relationship, in this case, uh, where it is in any way uh, painful, uh, emotionally abusive in any way you don't want to make him wonder anymore you want to uh, do like Katie did and uh, really get yourself out of it and then get some uh, help moving on and that's what you need to do so uh, so happy you were here today and talk to you next time on make him wonder if you've benefited from today's conversation please subscribe and share Connect with Coach Paula at MakeHimWonder.com. There you can take several relationship evaluations, discover her books and other resources, and find out if one of her personalized coaching programs might be right for you.